I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Thank you for being here. I want to tell you, hey, if you're a guest with us, uh, man, it is a huge deal for us that you're here this morning. Thanks for coming. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name's Matt Darby. I get to be uh, the pastor here for our Gilmer campus. Uh, New Beginnings is, is one church, but we actually have three campuses. We have our Gilmer campus, we have our Longview campus, and there we also have our Spanish campus. And so I am, I'm just so thankful that you're here. And you are here on what I would, would say is probably one of the most important Sundays and, one of the mo- and the beginning of one of the most important seasons in the life of our church. We're stepping into a new series called the Legacy Series. Uh, and in this series, we are going to be talking about over the next three weeks um, what, what, what my heart is and what I'm praying we clearly see and what we embrace with joy is the legacy God is calling us to invest in and to build and to prepare for. We're in the middle of a thing called a legacy initiative. And what we're doing is God has been, to, he is calling us to take some pretty sizable, transformative steps of faith as a family. We are at a significant moment in the life of our church, the most important since we've become a campus. God has been at work in this place for the last seven years. Some of you have been on the ride the whole time, and you can attest, we have seen God do almost, almost indescribable, inexplicable things here among us. And I think He's done that work, and He's, he's brought us to this moment at this time for this purpose. We're here right now, and we're going to make some decisions starting today, which is this. We're going to decide who will be, what we're going to be devoted to, how significant our impact will be, and how far our reach will go for the next 25 to 30 years. That's what we're deciding right now. You go, God, it feels kind of like a heavy moment. Yeah, I know. It is. All right? That's what this series is about. That's what the Legacy Initiative is about. It's it's about answering questions like, what's our kingdom impact going to be? What's our disciple-making legacy going to be in the next generation? And as we look at the prospect of of building um, this this worship center, which we need, and and building this life group space, which we definitely need and desperately need, and and then seeing that open up additional spaces for kids' ministry and and student ministry. As we look at this and we're seeing all that God is doing, there is something that has clearly resonated in my heart and become crystal clear to me, and it's this. Now is the time, and we're ready for this. Now is the time, and we're ready for this. We have seen God do unbelievable things. I want to give you just a glimpse into what God's been doing for the last seven years and then what he's doing right now. How do I know now's the time? How do I know that's true? How do I know now's the time? Why do I believe that we're ready for this right now? I want to show you some things. If you'll go ahead and put that up. I just want you to see this. Over the life of our campus in seven years, we've seen over 500 people come to faith in Jesus in this building. I'm sorry. I'm going to say that again. Obviously, you... Um, no, it's, oh, hold on. I'm going to give you... No, wait. Time out. I'm going to give you a second chance because that's called stumbling out of the blocks. That's what you guys just did. We'll start again. In the seven years that we have been a campus, God has saved over 500 people. Pastor Ben, I wasn't sure what was going to happen there. 500 people. 
I did some meetings over the last week or so, and if you were in one of those meetings, I said, we've seen God save 330-something people, and what we realized, what I realized this weekend is I was only telling you about the kids and students, and I forgot to tell you about all the grown folk he saved as well. 500 plus. We've seen 625 people baptized. Why does that matter? That is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of disciples that need to be made. Amen. In the last five weeks, New Beginnings, we've averaged over 800 people a week. You go, is that a big deal? Well, I'll tell you why it is in this building, because we're sitting in a building that was built to manage about 500. So it's, it's a big deal, right? Every single week at New Beginnings, going all the way back to last August, we're seeing seven first-time guests a week. Which, by the way, if you're a first-time guest with us, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. We're seeing seven first-time guests a week. New Beginnings, do some, just do some math in your mind about what that means over the course of a year and what we're, at, what we're trying to, to do to keep the doors open and space available to people who are trying to find what God is doing in this place. In our 9.30 and our 11 o'clock service, we're seeing those services be 80 to 95% full. 80 to 95% full. You go, is that unusual? Yeah. Not unusual for us. It's becoming the rule now. It's not the exception anymore. And you go, well, why does that matter? Because if a room is 80% full, it's full. How many of you have tried to walk into this room in the 930 service because you came to the 933 service and you tried to walk? <laughs> right? <laughs> you guys came to the 933 service and you were like, oh, no, there's nowhere to sit. You know what I mean? It happens all the time. Happens at 11 o'clock as well. This campus here, over the last 24 months, we've seen a 21% growth. So now just do some math of what that means if God sustains that over the next four to five years. Right? How many of you, when you pulled on the lot this morning, it was a little bit of a challenge to find somewhere to park? And that's with leaders, staff, volunteers, and many of you already being parked out in the grass. Now, with all of that in mind, guess what else? This whole area is growing. God is bringing families into Gilmer and the surrounding areas. New homes are going up everywhere. Talk to a teacher or an administrator that works for Gilmer ISD or any of these other school districts and say, what's happening in your district? And they're going to say, we can't contain the number of families that are moving into this area. And here's what I know. Here's why I want you to see that. Here's why that matters so much. That is not a pound our chest and pat our back. That's a God has got his hand on a place and we better see it and not miss the moment. That's what it is. God is at work here. And if you call New Beginnings home, if this is your spiritual home, then here's what you already know to be true. What we're experiencing from God, what we're seeing the Holy Spirit do, how we're seeing Him fill and move, that is what every person in every family and in every home needs. It's what every person in every family and in every home needs. I want to tell you something. People are looking for something real in the Lord right now. There's something happening in our culture. People are looking for something real. People are having a lower and lower tolerance 
for church as usual and checking a box of spiritual activity. And they are looking for something real from God and they're looking for something real that's happening in his people. And I want you to see that. Because I, I believe with all of my heart, God has brought us to this season and he's brought us to this moment. And we, as a, as a campus, we are standing at a crossroads right now. We're at a crossroads of challenge and opportunity and calling. That's where we're at this crossroads of challenge and opportunity and calling. Here's, listen, the challenge is obvious. It's, it's obvious. We're growing um, God is bringing families, God is at work, God is saving people, we're out of space, and the cost is real. It's significant. We'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. The challenge is obvious, but the calling is clear. We have a calling to make disciples. We have a calling to connect people to Jesus. We have a calling to have a kingdom impact in Gilmer and all the surrounding areas and family. The choices that we make in this season will have a profound effect on our mission to do that, to connect people to Christ, to raise up disciples just in the people God's already entrusted to us and to maximize our kingdom impact. And I want you to hear me say this. If we're going to rise to this challenge, if we're, going to, if we're going to obey the call, we have to get focused on, we have to get passionate about, and we have to get jealous for the right things. If we're going to do this, we have to get focused on, we have to get passionate about, and we have to get jealous for the right things. You might say we have to get greedy for the right things. I will not use the word greed very often, I promise you, because we're going to preach again for about the next three weeks. But we have to get passionate for the right things. Well, what are those things? We have to get jealous for God's glory. We have to get passionate about God's name. We have to get uh, focused on God's hope and God's glory and God's fame and God's presence in this place. We have to get jealous for the right things. So over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about our legacy. We'll talk about the legacy that was invested in us eight years ago and that we get to stand in. We're going to talk about the legacy we want to leave. We're going to talk about faithfulness today. We're going to talk about generosity. We're going to talk about commitment. These are, these are going to be the things we center our hearts on for the next three weeks. Boy, commitment matters, doesn't it? You, you've probably heard the story. It's probably not new. The, the little, this little silly story about uh, the hen and, um, and, and the pig, right? There's a hen and a pig walking down the street together. Somehow, magically, in this story, they can both read, so don't, don't judge it, right? So, hen and a pig walking down the street, they walk by a church sign. Here's what the church sign says. What can you do to help those in need? That's what the sign said. The hen looks at the pig and goes, I got it. I know what we can do. We can feed people in need eggs and bacon. <laughs> and the pig goes, man, it's just one problem with that. For you, it requires a little contribution. For me, it requires total commitment. Right? <laughs> I want to tell you new beginnings. This is, there's a difference between the contribution and total commitment. There's a difference between those things. 
And the legacy initiative in this series is about us coming together in, in commitment. It's about us coming together in a unified devotion. This is not a three-week series about money. I don't want to preach about money, but I do want to preach about faithfulness. And I do want to talk about generosity. And I do want to talk about commitment. And money is an obvious part of that. Because what we're getting ready to do in building this new building is way bigger than a pledge. It's way bigger than a contribution. This is a moment for us to give our congregational and our collaborative yes to God. That's what this is. Yes, God, we will follow your leading. Yes, God, we're not going to miss this moment. We're not going to miss it. Our theme verse is Isaiah 43, 19, which says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing, and now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the desert. I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers and the desert. We're going to give God our collaborative yes. Yes, God, we're not going to miss this moment. Yes, God, you will have our absolute surrender. Yes, God, we will be jealous for your glory and your mission. And yes, God, we will open our hearts to sacrificial generosity because, yes, God, we're going to embrace this call to make disciples. That's what we're going to do. So what does this look like for us? What does it look like for us to come together in this unified commitment and this unified vision what does it look like for us to invest in a legacy of faithfulness and generosity and discipleship so for the next three weeks we're going to be in first chronicles chapter 28 and 29 that's where we're going to be so if you want to grab your bible you can go ahead and head to first chronicles chapter 28 i want to kind of tell you where things are for god's people um like us now this is, a, this is a transformative season in the lives of God's people. There's a lot of important things that are happening at the end of 1 Chronicles. Um, there is a, there's this big transition in leadership. So it's going from David being king to Solomon being king. There's this big transition in worship, right? They're going from this tabernacle, which was temporary, to the temple, which was, which was permanent, Right? And God's people are growing. God's people are prospering. And the time has come for them to take this step of faith and to build this temple. And this temple is going to be their legacy for the next 400 years. This temple will stand for 400 years. The, ne- the second temple will stand for 420 years. This is the legacy they are building for the next 400 years. And what you see, if you go back and read First uh, Chronicles 22 through Uh, chapter 27, those six chapters, what you see is David begins making all the plans and all the preparations for this moment. He's bringing together the workers. He's bringing together the the raw materials to, to, to build the temple. He's creating the plans. He's raising up the leadership. He's doing all the hard work of physical preparation. And when you get to verse 29, there's a shift because now he begins to do the work of spiritual preparation. Now he begins to prepare not just the stuff. He begins to prepare the hearts of God's people to do this and to join him in embracing this call God has given him for sacrificial generosity to build the temple. David doesn't call the people to do anything physical until he's called them to do something spiritual. Right? So David... What we're seeing in these verses that we're going to read today, 28 and 29, here's what I want you to have in your mind. 
Um, these are the last, some of the last words David will ever speak as king. These are some of the last words that we have recorded that David will ever speak. These are verses that are going to reveal to us what's in the mind and what's in the heart of a king and a father who knows he's near the end. That's what, that's what we're going to see. And what we're going to see is what David wants to be remembered for. We're going to see what mattered most to him. We're going to see the legacy that he wants to leave and invest in. And so you see in verse 1, he gathers all the leaders, all the people, all the commanders, the officials, the leaders of tribes. He gathers all his mighty men and his, his warriors. He brings them all together for this moment. And let's pick it up in 1 Chronicles 28, starting in verse 2. If you're there, I want to hear you say, the Bible is true. The Bible is true. Amen. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. But God said to me, You may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all of my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as a leader. And in the house of Judah, my father's house. And among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he's chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said to me, it is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. Verse 8, now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. So be careful now. For the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Be strong and do it. Man, this is a powerful moment. And uh, here's David at the very end. This powerful moment of fulfilling a vision of transition, of tr uh, this transformative moment. In David, what, what I noticed is he didn't use this historic moment, even though he was at the end of his life, he didn't use this moment to make sure he was thought well of. He didn't use this moment to make sure the people remembered him well and that they remembered all the battles he won and all the fights that he fought and all the th good things that he did. He used this moment to remind them of how great God is, how faithful God has been, how much God has done, and how diligently they must follow him. If you read 1 Chronicles in 1 and 2 Samuel, which really lays out the the king, the years of David being king, here's what you're going to find out. David was Israel's greatest 
king. Um, he was Israel's greatest king. And, and he was at times seriously lacking as a father and a husband. Amen? Matter of fact, let's take a little test right now. I want you to clear your mind for a minute. I'm going to say a name. When I say a name, I want you to hold the first thing that comes into your mind after I say it. If I say David, it was the first thing that came to your mind. How many of you in this room, the first thing you thought was Goliath? That was the first thing that came to your mind. Yeah. How many of you, like me, the first thing you thought was Bathsheba? The first thing that came to your mind. How many of you are super spiritual and you were like, man, after God's own heart, I knew that, right? <laughs> well, you're messing up my illustration, so quit it. <laughs> What's actually interesting is most Christians, the first thing they think of is Bathsheba or Goliath. They think of either an accomplishment or a failure. But I want you to see in this moment, David's at the end, and by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what God put his finger on in this moment was not David's accomplishment or his failure, but David's faithfulness. That's what he put his finger on. David left a legacy of faithfulness. What does that look like for us? If we want, if this, if this series this initiative and what God's calling us to do, if this is going to be our legacy for the next generation, what does it look like for us to leave a legacy of faithfulness? Here's the first big idea for the day. A legacy of faithfulness begins with knowing and treasuring God. And I mean both of those words. It's one thing to know God. It's another thing to know God and to treasure Him. Right? It's very simple, but it's absolutely crucial. We must know and treasure God personally in order to leave a legacy of faithfulness to Him. Look at the first part of verse 29. David looks at Solomon and says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father. Know the God of your father. He says, Solomon, you, you know the God that I love. You know the God that I serve. You've seen me walk with him. You've seen me fight for him. You've seen me fall and fail him and then be picked up by him. You've seen me give everything to him. You've seen him be faithful to me. You've seen him be faithful to our family and be good to us and be powerful in my life. Now you must know that God. Solomon, it's not enough that I know him. You must know that God, and you must know him the way that I know him, and I want you to treasure him the way that I treasure him. Know the God of your father. When I read that, a question just, just came into my heart. I thought, if, if I were to tell my children, know the God of your father, If the only God my children and the only God your children ever experience or know in their life is the one they see treasured in our lives, would that be enough? Now, I want you to sit with that for a minute. 
I don't care if you've got kids at the house or if your kids are grown and gone. If your kids are still on planet Earth, you still have a calling to show them what it means to treasure God. Amen? If the only God your children ever experience is the one they see treasured in your life, would that be enough? If the only one they ever know is the one they hear you talk about, the one that's on your lips, the one they hear you pray to, the one they, they see you prioritize above everything else, if your children never exceeded you in your prayers, if they prayed like you, worshiped like you, read God's Bible, His Word like you, forgave others like you, loved Jesus like you, prioritized Jesus like you, and was generous for Jesus like you, would they know the fullness of God? And the weight that you feel from that is the weight I've been carrying, feeling all week. But when David says, know the Lord your God, he doesn't just mean be sure you kind of know some stuff about him. He means make sure you know him and treasure him. Right? Because here's the reality. We are going to pass on to our children the things that matter most to us. Right? That's what's going to happen. You guys have heard me say this before, but I want you to be reminded again. We will transmit what we treasure. We will transmit what we treasure. You will give your children what matters most to you, whether you do it on purpose or not. Your I bet you if I brought all three of my children in, right in this room right now and I said, what does your dad treasure? I know, I, I hope I know what the answer would be, but I know what some of the answers would be, and I didn't even mean to tell them that stuff was important. <laughs> so I remember the reality dawning on me years ago that when my sons were very little, um, they knew every word uh, to uh, the Bon Jovi song, Living on a Prayer. They knew every word. They were very little. They didn't know any worship songs, but they knew that Tommy used to work on the dock. They knew that. <laughs> and that the union had gone on strike, and he was super down on his luck, and it was real tough right now. He, they knew every word. And I remember driving down the road and hearing these little voices saying, Jesus is running away. And I'm going, have I taught my boys how to pray? Have I taught my boys how to pray, how to talk to God? Because I've taught them something. We're going to transmit what we treasure. You believe that? It will happen. Here's how I know it will happen. Because for some families in this room, not all, but for some families in this room, uh, before your children knew what your proper name was, you had already taught them how to say gigam. You had already taught them how to do it. Right? They couldn't spell their own name, but they were saying Gigamaggies, right? That's because you had transmitted. Now, UT fans are different. You know, we're raising our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But for you guys, <laughs> it's a real problem. It's a real problem. We transmit what we treasure, and we're going to give our children the things that matter most to us. And God help us if what we transmit is a valuing of achievement over a valuing of obedience. God help us if what we transmit to them is a valuing of popularity and financial security over humility and generosity.
David said, Solomon, son, you got to know the God of your father. I know him, but you have to. It's not enough that I know him. You have to know him. And we cannot teach what we do not know, and we cannot transmit what we do not treasure. A legacy of faithfulness begins with knowing and treasuring God. Here's the next thing I want you to know. A legacy of faithfulness desires more for the next generation. Desires more. Look at verse 8. Just back up one verse there. It says, Now therefore in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God. Why? That you may possess this good land. Why? Just so we get to have it and we get to keep? No. And leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. Listen, when David was, was casting the vision for the temple and when David was doing all that work of bringing all this stuff together and all these people together and he was bringing the people in to say, we're going to have to be devoted to this. When he was doing that, it wasn't about a bigger, better, newer building. That wasn't the point. In New Beginnings, I want you to hear me say this. The legacy initiative and what God's calling us to do is not about bigger, better, newer. It's not what it's about. David looked at at these people gathered all around, and for him, it was about desiring for God's people to experience more of him, more of his presence. It was about a place where God's people could come and God's presence would dwell with them. It was about creating a place where the next generation could know in ever-increasing ways the God that had been faithful to David and his generation. And it was about having something to leave for their children that pointed to the majesty and the glory and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. That's what it was. Now, I'm convinced every person in here would affirm with me, I think it's the most natural thing in the world for parents to say, I want to give my kids better than what I had. Isn't that just the most natural thing? My parents did that. I want to do that. You want to do that, right? Most of us say, I want to leave them with with better than I had. That's just the most natural thing for a parent to do. But I want you to notice in this moment, when David talks about what he wants to leave behind, it it has nothing to do with financial security and everything to do with a legacy of faithfulness to God. Some of you are making sure your children are financially secure for the rest of their life, but are you teaching them to be faithful to God? And I'm saying this to myself. As I, I'm, this is, I'm saying this to all of us. Right? If you look back in verses 4 and 5, you see that David reminds the people that God has been faithful to them. He reminds them that God has chosen them. He says, God has chosen Judah. And out of Judah, he chose my father's house. And out of my father's house, he chose me. And out of my house, he's choosing choosing Solomon. What is he saying? He's saying God's sovereign hand is on us. He is with us. He could have chosen any nation, but he chose us. He is with us. He is on us. And now in verse 8, David says, so we must choose him. We must know him, and we must seek 
him. Now remember who he's talking to. I want you to have the picture in your mind of who David is talking to. He is talking to the leaders who will lead this nation when he's dead and gone. You know what happens at the end of 1 Chronicles 29? David dies. He comes to the end. And these are some of the last words that we hear him say. And he is talking to the people that are going to carry on this legacy when he is dead and gone. And what does he call them to do? He calls them to seek the Lord and to be obedient to him and to lead the nation to be faithful to him. Look at verse 8 again. It says, in the sight of all of Israel, he says, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God. And then he gives them the promise of that obedience. If you will obey this way, you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. The message for these leaders was clear. The message for us is clear. If what we want is to give our children as an inheritance all that God has given us and more, then we have to seek the Lord. We have to obey the Lord. A legacy of faithfulness desires more for the next generation, not more stuff, more of God. All right. Here's the next idea. A legacy of faithfulness is rooted in wholehearted devotion. Wholehearted devotion. Man, in front of the whole nation. So over the next two chapters, 28, 29, there's going to be moments where David, in front of everybody, every leader, every politician, every powerful person, and the whole nation, where he says stuff right to Solomon in front of everybody. Has your par- you ever had your parents say something to you out in public, and you were like, oh, do I wish you would have waited till we got home to say that, right? You ever had that moment? <laughs> Solomon may have a few of those over, the, over these chapters. But in front of everyone... Look at what he says in verse 9. He says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a what? Say the next two words. A whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord, the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. And if you seek him, you will be found But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. So be careful now. Be careful. Pay attention. Don't lose sight of what matters most. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. So be strong and do it. Be strong and do it. Boy, don't miss that language. A whole heart and a willing mind. A whole heart and a willing mind. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the seat of who we are. It's talking about the seat of, of all of our emotions, all of our passions. It's talking about all of our desires, our dreams, our ambitions. Right? When it talks about the mind, it's talking about our intellect, our thought, our understanding, our opinions, our, our views. So I want you to see this. Solomon, he says, Solomon, you're to serve God with a whole heart. 
all of your emotions, all of your passion, all of your desire, all of your dreams, all of your ambitions, yielded to him, surrendered to him, devoted to him. I love those words, whole heart. I love the word wholehearted. I love it because I think when we seek something with our whole hearts, we are not easily distracted and we are not easily discouraged. Think of what you've sought in your life with your whole heart. Some of you have run after career changes with your whole heart and you would not stop until you saw it done. Guys, some of you had to ask your bride to marry you two or three times because she just refused. You were like, nope, I'm not distracted. I'm not discouraged. You're the one for me, right? Coming after you with my whole heart. When we run after things with our whole heart, we are not easily distracted. We're not easily discouraged. When we run after something with our whole heart, there's an intensity and a, and a relentlessness to it. When we pursue something with our whole heart, we look for ways to make it happen. What we're going to do next is going to require the whole heart. It's going to require that you do not get distracted and that you do not get discouraged. It's going to require that you and your family pursue it with an intensity and a relentlessness. It's going to require all of us to look for ways to make it happen. That's wholehearted devotion. Now, wh why does David look at Solomon and in front of everybody, he says, Solomon, you've got to do this with a whole heart? The willing mind. Why does he set that standard so high? Because God's people did not need a king who would value God and money. They didn't need a king who was going to value God and conquest. They didn't need a king who was going to value God and power. They needed a king who was going to value God and then trust God with the conquest and the money and the power. They needed a king who was going to set God as the priority and just trust that he says, if I'm your priority, you don't have to worry about anything else. This is a moment where it's echoed toward Christ in Matthew 6, where he says, if you'll seek first the kingdom and my righteousness, all this other stuff that just sparks so much anxiety in you, I'll just add it to you. You won't have to worry about it. This is that moment. David says, you've got to do this with a whole heart and a willing mind. And he says, son, I don't want you to forget. The Lord searches all hearts. And he understands every plan and every thought. Hmm. Man looks on the outside, right? But where does God look? I want to say to myself right now, and I want to say to all of us, God is not deceived or distracted by our outward appearance. Not even for a moment. He searches the heart. So David says, Solomon, with that reality in mind, you've got to run after this God with a whole heart. A whole heart. we're going to build the legacy for the next 20 or 30 years, if we're going to invest in this thing, if we're going to leave better for the next generation of disciples and disciple-making disciples, if 
that's what we're going to do. It's going to require wholehearted devotion, all of our heart. Why? Here's why it requires all of your heart. Listen to this. Because the devotion of your heart will determine the degree of your generosity. Do you believe that? Think about what you give your money to. You give your money to things you love. You give your money to things you're devoted to. The devotion of my heart is going to determine the degree of my generosity. We'll talk about this more in the next week or two. But our generosity will never exceed our devotion. It just won't. This is why in that same message before Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, do you want to know what he says? Don't build treasure in this place. He says, put your treasure in heaven. Why? Because where your treasure is, finish the rest of it. There your heart is. Right? We have to have a wholehearted devotion to this. We also have to have it because the opportunity and the challenge that's in front of us is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Um, David looks at Solomon and he says, be careful now. Pay attention, you stay focused, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Now be strong and do it. Solomon, this is no small thing. The Lord has chosen you, and you must see it done. And if you read verses 11 through 19, you see what a big thing this is. You see the, the massive nature of this. And he gets to verse 20, and again he says to Solomon, in front of everybody, be strong, be courageous, and do it. Why? The weight of this task is enormous. The expectations are high. The cost is significant. It's going to be difficult. It's going to require courage and faith, and I can't do it for you. You have to do it, but do it anyway because it's worth it, because wholehearted devotion to God is always worth it. Always. It requires wholehearted devotion. It's going to require that of us also because obedience to the call of God is we're going to require strong faith in the God of the call. What do I mean by that? I mean this. God does not call us to things that we can do without Him. Right? He is not calling us into a season of generosity and vision and unity, and we can just do it without Him. He doesn't, he doesn't call us to things that are easy and require no faith. He accomplishes us to run after things and accomplish things we can't even begin to do unless He is pouring out in power, unless He is pouring out in provision and in His presence. So we have to have an ever-increasing desire for Him and an ever-increasing faith in Him, wholehearted devotion. Okay, now. I want you to echo back to the question that I asked you. We're going we're to step in just a time of prayer. I want you to echo back to the question that I asked you a few minutes ago when I said, if the only God your children ever know or love or experience is the God they see you treasure, will that be enough? If not, this is a time of prayer that you need to just lean into. For some of you, you're going to need to take your spouses by the hand and you're going to need to come down here as a family and get at this altar and say, 
I got to start treasuring what matters most. Because I'm transmitting things to my children that eternally will have no impact and make no difference. And I'm missing what's going to last forever. I got to start transmitting what matters. It might be, husbands, you need to grab your wife, sit her beside you and say, he's going to sing, but we got to pray. I'm sorry I haven't been leading our home to be faithful the way we should. Or we do some spiritual stuff. We do some religious activity, but we have... I don't know what the answer from our children would be if I ask them, what does dad treasure? What does mom treasure? Right? Are you living out a wholehearted devotion? So we're just going to spend some time in prayer. I want you to rest, wrestle with those things. And I'm asking you right now that as we look into the next two to three weeks, we're talking about generosity and faithfulness and devotion and obedience. I'm, I'm asking you to begin to pray right now with me. God, what are you calling me and my family to do? What does sacrificial generosity look like for us? If this is where our church is going and we call this place home, then we are, we're going to be unified together. So what does that look like for us? Don't do anything financial until we do something spiritual. Amen? So I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship and spend some time in prayer. Lord, I love you. And uh, God, I pray you would forgive me when I have transmitted my, to my children things that actually didn't matter at all. And Lord, I pray that even now I wouldn't lose sight that I still get to give them what matters most. God, I, I pray over our families right now, Lord, that if there are things we need to change, don't let us stiffen and, and be prideful, God. Help us be humble and be repentant. Open our hearts to what it means for us to be wholeheartedly faithful in this moment. In Jesus' name.